Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Jeff is bringing you a teaching, so head over to crosswalkphoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Jeff. Father's Day is such a great day. I, I, uh, I opened up my mail this week and uh, got this from my, my granddaughter, Claire, five years old. Happy Father's Day, it says. And, and I, it was one of these things where you do a little fill-in. She's five years old. She's filling in the blanks. And the first one was, Grandpa is blank years old. And I love, she, Grandpa is 18 years old. That's so awesome. His, his hair is black. Yeah, it was 10 years ago. And his eyes are blue. This is awesome. Grandpa likes to wear a blue shirt and jeans. That's not quite as blue. And this is my favorite. Grandpa loves to eat quinoa. That tells you my wife is on another health kick. Anyway, there's a lot of good stuff. Grandpa always tells me he loves me. It makes Grandpa happy when I wait until he is done on something. And if he, would, if, if he could go on a trip, he would go to a hotel and he would take us swimming. And that's exactly what we did last summer with them. You know, when you're, you're um, in a hotel and you're swimming with young people, uh, I remember this with my own children, each of them, there's always that moment where they go under, right? And in their mind, they're drowning. They come, out, they come up out of the water and you've always had your eyes on them, but, but they come up out of the water and they're like, I was drowning, I was drowning. And you've got your arms right around them. Well, I think very often in our own lives, we get that same feeling with our Heavenly Father, that, that when the events of our lives take a, take a turn and, and we feel like we can't catch our breath, whether it be physically or spiritually or whatever's going on in our life, and we're thrashing about in our life, and the Heavenly Father lifts us up, and, he's, and we're like, that was horrible. I was drowning. I couldn't take any more of that. There's our Heavenly Father with his hands right, right around us. Father's Day is a great day for me to remember things that my dad did along those lines. I remember the first time that he took me hunting. For a year, we went back and lived in my dad's home state, Louisiana, when I was six years old, just a year older than my granddaughter, Claire, here. And he took me out hunting one day with him, and around the little farm, not a huge farm in Louisiana, were all these pine trees. If you're familiar with eastern Texas or uh, western Louisiana, you know there's pretty big tracts of pine trees around there. And, uh, and we're out in the middle of the pine forest, and it's getting dark, and I start to fret and worry, Dad, we're lost. We're not going to be able to make it home. And one of the things that I remember my dad uh, did for me was he, he pointed out landmarks. He said, see that? You remember that we passed that before? I, I know exactly where we are, and I'm, I'm right here with you. Don't worry. Don't panic. We're going to be home in time for dinner. I remember a time when, after we moved back here to Phoenix, we were traveling to Louisiana, and I'll bet this has happened to you. You fall asleep in the car as a kid, and you wake up, and you're turned around. Ever have that happen to you? And you are absolutely convinced that the car is going west when it's really going east. And 
I remember waking up and telling my dad, Dad, we, I know we're going the wrong direction. And he reassured me, we're not going the wrong direction. I've been driving the car. I've been awake while you were asleep. Trust me, it's going to be okay. Those are moments very similar to the moments that we often have with God. And those are moments also very similar to moments I'm sure that Joseph had at times with God. And yet what's so amazing about this story of Joseph is that he goes on a journey. If you look at the front of your, of your program today, you see a pair of sandals. And that's to represent that Joseph was on a journey in his life. And it was a lifelong journey, like we're on a lifelong journey. And his journey was from slave to deputy. Now, Joseph was not born a slave. Joseph was born a very wealthy young man with a, with a, a dad that favored him. Dad had 12 boys, and Joseph was the youngest, and he gave him all kinds of signs to show that he was the favorite. Some of you probably have heard of the richly ornamented robe that, that Jacob gave to Joseph to say, you're my favorite boy. And of course, that created some problems for Joseph. But as we're going to hear, Joseph eventually ends up a slave, but that's not the last place. That's not the destination on his lifelong journey. The, the destination on his lifelong journey is as a deputy to the Pharaoh. Now, I want to explain that word deputy because when we hear deputy, the first thing that's going to start to flat, being here from Maricopa County, we're going to start thinking Sheriff Joe and pink underwear and all that kind of stuff. Joseph was not that kind of deputy. In fact, if, if you look up the actual definition of deputy, uh, you, you find that it's, this is how it's defined. A deputy is an official appointed by a legal ruling monarch to re- represent them in a country. That's what Joseph was. He was appointed by a legal ruling monarch, the Pharaoh, to represent him in the country of Egypt. Now, here's why I love this title. Because while Joseph was truly on a journey from being a slave to being the deputy pharaoh in Egypt, do you realize that you and I are on that same journey spiritually? And we were born into slavery. Every one of us was born into slavery, as we just said in this baptism The book of Romans, if you read Romans chapter 6, it tells us that we were all born as slaves to sin. That sin controlled us, that Satan controlled us, that whatever um, sin and Satan and death wanted us to do by nature, that's what we're going to do because we are in servitude to sin and Satan. And, And that's why God sent his son to rescue us, redeem us, free us from our slavery to sin, and he did it through the cross, something that we talk about every week here at Crosswalk. That's why our church is named Crosswalk. But the name of the church is not just Cross. The name of the church is Crosswalk. 
And that's to indicate that we are all on a journey in the comforting shadow of the cross. And that that journey leads to us also being deputized, being representatives of a monarch, a ruling monarch, the king of kings and the lord of lords in the country that he has placed us in. Each one of us is on this journey from being a slave to being a deputy. And what we want to talk about this morning is, what's that journey look like for you and for me? What can we expect? And I will tell you that I think it's so important for our, for our expectations to be set in the right place when it comes to this journey. Because if we think that this trip is going to be a bed of roses, if we think that this trip is going to be a snap and easy then we're going to set ourselves up for a lot of discouragement and disappointment. So let's dive in to Joseph's story. And at the very top, I want you to just write this. In my journey, in my sandals, as I'm traveling from slave to deputy, dot, 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 what can I expect? Joseph had a dream. When he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. Let me break it right there. Joseph is talking to his brothers here. And he is essentially telling them, I had a dream in which God tells me that one day you, who are all older than me, you're going to serve me. You're going to be my slaves. You're going to do what I tell you. I'm going to have position and I'm going to have power over all of you. And his brothers get what's happening here. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. If you read Genesis 37, there are multiple occasions where this becomes a a refrain. And they hated him all the more. Because Joseph keeps going back and doing the same things. It's like the D-backs versus the Dodgers. It's like, bam, 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 I'm going to, and then there's a brawl. And that's exactly what happens here. Is one day, Joseph comes, and he's clearly forgotten what kind of family he comes from. I mean, if you want to understand, there are so many stories about Joseph's family that you never heard in Sunday school. Do you realize that? And if you're curious, you know, one of the things that we do here at Crosswalk, I brought mine out here today so I could show it to you. You have this. That means you can carry your Bible with you anywhere you want to take it. And I encourage you to turn it on. And if you don't have version or BibleGateway.com on your phone, Get it. And then if you need to look at Facebook or ESPN.com during the church service, just go, what? I'm reading my Bible to the person that's sitting next to you. All right? At least it'll help you stay awake during the sermons. So if you open up that beautiful app and you, you happen to check out Genesis chapter 34 or Genesis 38, you're going to think you're reading a story about the Godfather family. And there are tender ears in here. Some of these stories are worse than anything you would see on daytime soap operas. And I am talking sex, drugs, and rock and roll here. And worse, mass murder. 
One one of the things that this wonderful faith-filled family does is convince an entire village, several villages of men to get circumcised so that they can't do anything, can't fight back, and then they kill them all. Literally. They just mow them all down because they're angry with them. That's the kind of family that Joseph comes from. And so he's, he's taking a sharp stick and he's poking these brothers of him that he knows are murderers. And so what they do when, they, when he gets to, to them is they go, oh, here, here comes Mr. Beautiful Robe that my dad gave him. You know, he's the favorite. And they go, we're getting rid of him. And they're serious about this. They're going to kill him. They, they start by throwing him down into a cistern, which in and of itself is no fun. These were purely holes in the ground that were drilled into the ground really deep at places where any water that came into this desert country would kind of flow down into that spot, and then it would be caught in this stone place and be held like a well. But understand, it was not a well where you had water bubbling up from underneath usually. It was only runoff from on top. So what do you think happened to that water after it sat there in that cistern for a little while? And so he's down in there in this muck, in this stinking water, and they're having a little discussion about what they should do with him. And most of them are saying, let's just kill him. We'll smear some, some of his blood on the robe and save some animals killed him and say, sorry, Dad. One of the brothers, Judah, speaks up and says, you know what? Here's an opportunity. There are some Midianite traders I see over there. Let's, let's make some cash out of them at least. If we kill them, there's no profit in that. Let's make some cash. And, and so in the end, he convinces them to sell Joseph to these traders. And I want to, we'll read that little part, Genesis 37, 28. I, I put it in your notes because I want to point something out. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver. That's eight ounces, not that much money. Uh, but he, they sold him to the Ishmael, Ishmaelites. By the way, who are the Ishmaelites? Family. They're cousins. So here, here you have the brothers selling Joseph to the cousins, and no one steps up and says, hey, should we really be doing this to this guy? None of them. And they take him to Egypt. Now, I'm wondering if any of you can relate to this on a Father's Day. Jonathan mentioned in the prayer before how sometimes Father's Day can be a painful day. Do you have some painful memories of your dad? Just reading in the, in the uh, Sunday sports page, one of my Sunday morning rituals is always to at least read the sports page before I come to church. Because there might be some important news I have to share with you in there. And this morning... I was reading about ASU's football coach and how at age 10 or 11, his father up and left. And this has affected his entire life from that point on. And he makes no bones about the fact that that has affected his life. In fact, the article goes on to say that he has gathered many other coaches around him who have gone through that same experience because he says that experience has honed us and it has made us better coaches because we've had to learn from other men how to be men, 
from other people how to do what are right things. And now we want to be those guys who are dads to others. Isn't that phenomenal? But it all started with the pain of his own dad leaving him when he's only 10 years old. You have probably, if you have lived in a family at all, experienced some pain from your family. And, and you may not even have had some of the stuff happen in your family that Joseph had, and we're talking rape and incest and murder and all kinds of stuff. Just read those chapters in the book of Genesis. Or maybe you have. Maybe you have. And you sit here on a day like Father's Day or several weeks ago on Mother's Day, and you go, man, (laughs) my family never valued me. My family never told me that they loved me without conditions and that they would always love me. All my dad did was kick me around. All my dad did was work, work, work all the time and never saw him. All my dad ever did was cuss at me. And and you sit here today going, man, how how am I supposed to be someone who does anything for anyone because I I don't even know who I am? Who are you when even your mom and dad have no reassurance for you that you are loved? For most of us, it feels like we're a big fat zero. And that's why it's so awesome that everyone in this room, because of Christ, because of sacraments like baptism, because of the cross and the empty tomb, does have a father. No matter, no matter what your earthly father did, my own dad left when I was 12. So I know how that hurts. But I have a heavenly father. And his love is constant because of the blood of Christ. He has adopted me to be his child. I know without any doubt that his love for me is unconditional. There's not a thing I can do to make him love me more. There's not a thing I can do to make him love me less. And that is phenomenal to go through life. Do you realize how practical that is? To go through life, wake up every morning... And say, no matter what else is going on in my life, I have a dad who loves me and watches over me and points out the landmarks to me so that I can know that I'm safe. I have a dad who who journeys with me and is always with me. Notice what it says in Genesis 39.2. The Lord was with Joseph. We underline those words. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. You know, my dad always pointed out these landmarks to me on these journeys. Even when we go camping up to Payson, he would say, look, on the way back, there's Weaver's Needle. You can see we're getting close to home. When God points out things to people in the Bible, often he's pointing out himself. He's saying, I'm your landmark. I am with you. And as long as I am with you, you don't have to worry. And so Joseph, he's sold into slavery. His family devalues him. 
but God is with him, and so he prospers, and he begins to live in the house of an Egyptian master, a very powerful official named Potiphar. So let's write this down. In this journey from slave to deputy, I may come from an earthly family that does not value me. Understand that. Have your expectations set in the right place. Is that the end of your life? Does that mean you, your life has no purpose or meaning? That there's no plan? That's what, we're, that's what we're really asking ourselves. So because God is blessing Joseph, do you know what happens next? He's in the house of this general, this big-time official in Pharaoh's court named Potiphar, And Potiphar sees what a talented young man he is. The Bible even says he's a good-looking young man. And all this stuff sort of conspires, and he's put in charge of Potiphar's house. And he does a great job. Pretty soon he is the top dude in Potiphar's house. And as the top dude in Potiphar's house, he catches the eye of Potiphar's wife, who is not so faithful to her husband. And so she starts coming after Joseph. And it's an impossible situation because Joseph has to have pretty much free reign to go wherever he needs to on Potiphar's estate. And every time he goes somewhere, it seems like from the story, there's Potiphar's wife popping up. Oh, hi, Joseph. By the way, will you sleep with me? Literally, she, she, the words in the original language are, lie with me. It's that blatant. And, and Joseph keeps saying, no, I can't do that. Are you crazy woman? No, I am not doing that. In fact, I, I put his answer in your crosswalk notes. She comes and she says to him, Joseph, let's, let's sleep together. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. And then will you underline these words? How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Do you see how Joseph is constantly seeing God's presence wherever he is? He surely could have gotten away with this sin. This is one of those temptations that even in itself Seems like an impossible situation. If, you're, if you've ever been in that place where you're standing right on the edge and you're like, no one's going to see me. Look, I'm the boss of this entire house. Who's going to turn me in? They're all afraid of me. He's in a great position, or so he could have thought, to do whatever he wanted. Power, position, possessions. And, and you know... Don't you, how people who get power, position, and possessions begin to think? And how they can get out of control because they think they're above it all? How does Joseph not get there? He's constantly aware of the presence of God in his life. And remember this, for Joseph and his family, as crummy as this family was, there was always one thing, and it's clear in their minds, the promise that had been made to Abraham. I will turn you into a great nation, and through this great nation, I'm going to send a Messiah, a Savior, who will take away the sins of the entire world. Many people will be rescued through you. 
So Joseph clearly sees throughout all of this, there must be a plan, there has to be a purpose, and God is present. How can I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And yet this does not necessarily ease the situation. Do you see what follows? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. He does whatever he can to avoid even the appearance of impropriety. One day, Joseph is inside the house and he gets caught off guard. Potiphar's wife says, come on, we're, we're, I'm sorry if there are any young tender ears in here. Hopefully they've gone out already. Um, we're, we're going to bed right now. And she grabs hold of him and literally strips the outer clothing off of him in her hand. And Joseph books it out of there. Not happening. But do you know what Potiphar's wife does? Talk about impossible situations. This is even a guy who's a stand-up guy, seeing God's presence, plan, and purpose in his life. Do you know what Potiphar's wife does? This man tried to rape me. She tells that to Potiphar when he comes home that night. This man tried to rape me. And so he is furious. This is now this is now the second very powerful group of people or person that Joseph has inadvertently or advertently ticked off. So this is the end result of that. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. That also, by the way, was not like uh, a Hilton. Most of the king's prisons were cisterns. So he's back, in the, he's back in the stinking pit again. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. Underline those words. The Lord was with him. We underline those. You see what's happening to Joseph? I'll bet you can relate. This is not just a roller coaster ride. Like I, I hear people talk about Joseph's life, life and go, oh man, he was on a roller coaster ride. No, that was not a roller. He was up at the top and somebody threw him out of the roller coaster is what was happening to him. It, not good. Body slammed. Time and time and time again. And do you know what happens when you get body slammed time and time and time again? Typically, you get broken. Typically, you get broken. But God was with him. And Joseph saw that God was with him and that God had a plan and a purpose. What, what's amazed, amazing to me about this, Pastor Dan and I were talking about this earlier in the week, and we were both like, you know, there's, it's kind of incredible. You go through, this is a third, Joseph's story is a third of the book of Genesis. And you, you go through this entire story, and there's very little sign of any immaturity or doubt or anger or bitterness on the part of Joseph throughout the entire journey that he goes on. About the only thing that you could point to where you could see Joseph might have had a sinful nature is in the next part of the story, he toys with his brothers a little bit when, when he meets them again. But he, he always seems like he's filled with strength and courage. And, and I have to say, 
There's only one way. God is propping him up. Because if any normal human being goes through this, you can experience doubt and fear and anxiety over these things. But Joseph knows the Lord is with me. And when you're in impossible situations, and do you notice that in this story, there are two types of impossible situations? The one type of impossible situation is relentless temptation. She kept coming after him day after day. And this is a setup where the devil has him right where he could say, man, I'm stepping off into that temptation because there's no way I'm getting caught. And any one of us would go, well, it would be impossible to resist that if it were me. But it wasn't impossible, was it? Because Joseph did it. The other kind of impossible situation is the other impossible situation Joseph found himself in. And that was doing the right thing. And what was the payoff? When he does the right thing, he gets imprisoned again. Ever been in that situation? And just wanted to throw your hands up and go, man, I, I did it. God, I, I did everything you told me to, God. I, I went right down the line. I was obedient. And this is my reward, God? Those are impossible situations that you can expect to go through in your journey from slave to sin to God's deputy. And so here's what I want you to write down. Not only may your family not value you, you may find yourself in seemingly impossible situations in this journey. But always remember, God is working out everything to fit his plan and purpose. He is present with you. Now, as we flip the page, have you noticed that God, God is always late? Look at that. Sometimes people complain about me being always late. And I just say, well, I'm like God. That's, I'm, always, I'm always late. Have you noticed that? You pray for things and you ask him, come on, God, let's get this situation over with. Help me. I trust you. I want you to intervene. You are God. I just want to remind you, you created this all. You're, you're the sustainer of heaven and earth. And according to what you promised me in the Bible, you love me very much. God, God, ever, ever feel like that? And, and it just seems like God is always late. And here's what the Bible assures us. God is always right on time. His time, not ours. And it may seem to us many times that God is late, but he's not. He's always Right on time, God is developing Joseph in in this story. And sometimes he develops Joseph by making him more patient and telling him, hang in there with your faith while I deliver you. And by the way, I'm going to take some time doing this. Notice, even in this story, as you go on to Genesis 40, Joseph is in Pharaoh's prison and... In, in there, it, it, there are various verses that tell us time pass. And, and this isn't about Joseph. This is about a baker and a cupbearer. But you can only imagine if they had been in jail for some time and they came in after Joseph and they left before Joseph. Joseph's in there for a really long time. After they had been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who had 
who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in his master's house, why do you look so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered, but there's no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, I love this, do not interpretations belong to God. Now Joseph is doing the right thing, and it's clear he's doing the right thing for the right reasons and for the right person. He's doing the right things, and he's giving glory to God. Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. And they do. And Joseph does interpret them correctly. And the cupbearer, as Joseph, as Joseph tells him will happen, returns into service in, in, to the king. And the baker, as Joseph tells him, is executed. On the way out, Joseph says to the cupbearer, Hey, dude, please don't forget you know, that... Um, God used me as the tool to interpret this dream. And when you're back in power, if there's any little thing that you could do to to help me out, I'd really appreciate it. Thank you. And what happens next? Joseph continues to rot in prison. Take a look at the verse. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Has that ever happened to you? Done done all the right things for all the right reasons. You've given glory to God. And you feel completely ignored and forgotten. Every day. Yep. Every day. Right? In your family, has it happened to you? Moms. How many of you moms have said, I wash the dishes, I clean the clothes, and there's not one person to lift a finger around here to help me. And you don't feel valued, and you feel like everything that you do is forgotten. Dads, I go to work every day. I put in a solid day's work. I put in overtime. It's out in the hot sun. Does anybody know what it feels like in 110 degrees in Phoenix in the summer? And I'm out there working in it. And I come home and it feels like there's no recognition or appreciation whatsoever. Sometimes it happens at work. Sometimes it happens out here in the extended family, moms, dads, grandmas, grandpas. Sometimes it happens with friends. I can't tell you that when I was a when I was an assistant principal at high school, and some of you are still dealing with this today, you had a high school friend that betrayed you and forgot about the friendship and forgot all about the things that you had brought to the table for that friend and totally stabbed you in the back. And still today, you can conjure up a name when I say something like that. Yep, that's who did that to me. Because there's still a little bit of hurt and anger and bitterness inside your heart from that. And you've, you've maybe tried real hard to, to forget and to forgive, but it's still there. You did all the right things for all the right reasons. You gave glory to God and you felt forgotten. Will you write that down? 
I may do all the right things and still be forgotten. You know what Joseph did in all these situations? And I love this. Our American culture says when you're not getting there, try harder. Here's what Joseph did. When I'm not getting where I need to be, I'm going to try softer. Have you ever tried trying softer? You know what I mean by trying softer? Take this heart that can sometimes be so filled with self and sin and unrepentance and bitterness and anger and allow your heart to just soften to God. How did Joseph interpret those dreams? Was it, I know what they say. I'll tell you what they mean. No. With a soft heart, he, his heart was open to God's interpretation. And he just tried softer. He, he walked with God. He knew God's presence. He knew God had a plan. He didn't try harder. He tried softer. So what happens out of that, this is the result of trying softer. After a little while, Pharaoh also has a dream. And he's trying to get anybody in the entire kingdom of Egypt to interpret these dreams about some fat and skinny cows and so on and so forth. Fat and skinny stalks of grain and he can't find a person. And then the cupbearer goes, oh yeah. You know, Pharaoh, there was this guy that I told him that I would tell you, Pharaoh, about him. And today my shortcomings are sort of coming home to haunt me a little bit. His name is Joseph, and he might be able to interpret your dream. He interpreted my dream. And sure enough, Joseph is led into the Pharaoh. He does interpret Pharaoh's dream. He warns Pharaoh that there are going to be seven years of extreme abundance in the land, but that's going to be followed by seven years of extreme famine. And that he needs to have a plan to store up 20% of all the crops now so that when you get into that, when, when Pharaoh, you get into those years of famine, you, you're going to be ready for them. And actually, that's exactly what happens. Egypt becomes the breadbasket. And, 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 and Joseph is elevated to deputy after many, 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 many years. And after being body slammed so many times. See what it says in Genesis 41? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Now Joseph can begin to see it. God truly is working out everything to fit his plan and his purpose. And through this, now here's the really intriguing thing is Joseph's brothers begin to experience this famine. Fast forward another seven, eight, nine years. Now now Joseph's family, which is not in Egypt, they're still back in the land of Canaan. They begin to experience this famine, and what do they do? They come to Egypt looking for food because Egypt is in the midst of the famine, the only country that has planned for this thing to go down. And they encounter Joseph, but they don't know it's Joseph. And that's where Joseph toys with them a little bit, keeps one of the brothers back and so on. I'll I'll shorten the story. You'll read about it in your your book reading in the story. 
the end of the day, their dad comes, Jacob comes, and they all settle in, in the land of Egypt. Joseph reveals who he truly is, and there's reconciliation, the bitterness, the anger. There's forgiveness. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? If you're sitting here on Father's Day, and there's any grudge in your heart, can I just ask you to do what Joseph did and, and do what Jesus first did for you? He forgave all your sins and just release that anger and that bitterness and those grudges. Finally, at the very end, remember, Joseph comes from a crime family. What always happens in the crime family at the end? Revenge. So the brothers are fully expecting the only reason Joseph has held out. He's in power. He can do whatever he wants to us at this point. Once dad is gone, he is going to nail us. Jacob does die. The brothers are paraded into the room, the ruling roost where Joseph is, fully expecting to die. And this is what Joseph says to them. I put it in your notes. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me. I get it. This is the truth. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. God had a plan in this, Joseph says. God had a purpose for leading me through all of these things, for allowing me to be body slammed. And that purpose was the saving of many lives. So then he tells them, don't be afraid. I forgive you. I am not going to carry out revenge. Instead, I will provide for you and your children. Do you get what a momentous change this is? Go back to the beginning of the story. And what is, what is the very first thing we hear out of Joseph's mouth? All you folks are going to serve me, Joseph says. Does he intend to rule over us, the brothers? They get it. All you are going to rule me, are, 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 are going to follow me, you're going to serve me. And at the end of the story, what does he say? You see how wonderful this was, my brothers? I got to serve all of you. And not just you, but many others. What a change of heart. Going all the way from a slave to sin that says, I got to have the power, I got to have the position, you're all going to serve me too. Truly, not just Pharaoh's deputy, but God's deputy. And saying the wonder of life and the beauty of this is just that as God has has promised to send us a Messiah and a Savior and a, a, a suffering servant who will help us from our sins, now because my heart has been changed, I love to know that the story ends this way. I get to be your servant. Isn't that amazing how this story turns out, Joseph tells his brothers? Here's what I want you to write down. This is what Joseph knew. Jesus is always present in our lives with a plan and a purpose. You know what Joseph names his two sons in Egypt? Manasseh and Ephraim. You know what those two names mean? Forgetful and fruitful. And and he's talking about because God is present with me and because all of this were part of God's plan and purpose for my life, 
I can now be forgetful of all that baggage and leave it behind. And I can know that God has forgotten all my sins. I am free. And I am freed to be a fruitful deputy of the Pharaoh and of God himself, forgetful and fruitful. And isn't that, isn't that true of all of us? should all name our children, Manasseh and Ephraim, dads. Let's go to the court today. We're going to rename our kids. Because this is exactly what Jesus has done for us. He's allowed us to forget all our past and now be fruitful. We're no longer slaves to sin, Paul tells the Romans. Instead, we are servants of Christ. And that's the beauty of this. Here's what I want you to do. Take a look at that memory verse from Ephesians, because this really drives home the whole point of today's message. And I want this to be part of your everyday walk. This is where it gets practical. We were also chosen, just like Joseph was, to belong to him. God decided to choose us long ago, and notice why? In keeping with his what? Plan. And I want you to underline these words, and if you're a bad memorization person like I am, all you got to memorize is this next part. He works out everything to fit his plan and purpose. That's the point of today's message. He works out everything to fit his plan and purpose. Memorize that. Use that as a mantra in your life. I have to believe that Joseph had a similar mantra in his heart and mind. He works out everything to fit his plan and purpose. We were the first to put our hope in Christ. We were chosen to bring praise to his glory, to be God's deputies. So for next week, read chapter 4 in the story, and please come back as we dive into the next part of the story. It is going to get even more exciting from here. Let's pray. Your Father in heaven, thank you for being with us, just as Joseph was assured and, and given great courage and peace at every point of his journey from slave to deputy, that you were with him, that you were present. And reassure us as you constantly reassure Joseph that you have a plan and a purpose. And Joseph saw that at the end of his life. He was able to look back over the whole life and say, I get it, guys. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, for the saving of many lives. May we see our life through that same lens, Lord. And know that everything fits your plan and your purpose in our lives. Everything. And may we carry that truth around with us so that we experience peace and joy, even in the midst of the body slams of God. Lord, we lift this prayer up to you in Jesus' name. So, before we close, if you would like more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, just go online to crosswalkphoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at 9 and 11 a.m. at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue Baseline. Visit our website for directions. And now, back to some closing thoughts from Pastor Jeff. I'm just going to send you out of here with this thought. Keep it with you all week long. He works out everything according to his plan and purpose. Let me send you out with the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with his favor and give you his peace. Amen. Have a great week in the Lord.